the law assumed sermon, the gospel afterthought sermon, the God loves you anyway sermon. I've written an article in the latest issues, etc. journal titled an updated listener's guide to the pulpit. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Matt Richard details his journey from folk Lutheranism to confessional Lutheranism. The free online Issues Etc. journal. If James Madison or Thomas Jefferson were to come back to the United States, their first response would be, what is the Department of Health and Human Services And what gives it the authority to tell an order of nuns that they have to provide coverage for contraception in their health care plan? God deeply, dearly, profoundly loves every single human being. To uh, entertain racist thoughts is to be anti-love, to be anti-God and anti-truth. You can hear the same sort of, oh, the worst sort of sin is to judge or to be self-righteous. Well, guess what? That's what the whole world thinks is the worst sin. These are the prophets of our age, and they must be condemned. I'm Vicki. And I'm Ron from Ontario, Canada. Confessional Lutherans who play in German polka bands. Love, issues, etc. <laughs> It's one of the most difficult things to do as a parent. Consistency is the, the word. And well, the, the conversation we had last time with Pastor Jonathan Fisk on establishing, setting, and maintaining boundaries with children as part of raising Christian children in an age of progressivism, where they're taught that there should be no boundaries. Life is limitless, life has no boundaries. No, none of them apply to me, at the very least, in our age of individualism. Well, establishing and maintaining and holding fast to those boundaries is important, but as important as the children grow up is learning to move the boundaries. They don't go away, not, well, not all of them, but they do move and they need to, and we'll talk about that in the course of part five of our series on raising Christian children in the age of progressivism, moving the boundaries as our children get older and older. Pastor Jonathan Fisk will be our guest Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. Thanks for tuning us in. After our conversation with Pastor Fisk, we're going to start a weekly series on the Lord's Prayer with Pastor Brian Wolf Miller, author of the book, Has American Christianity Failed? Dr. Jan Lohmeyer will join us for part three of our series on responding to teenagers' questions about Christianity. Here's a question that seems difficult to answer until you just come out and say what the answer is, and that is, who was Cain's wife, and Dr. Corey Moss will be with us in the last few minutes of the program to talk about the Reformation and secularism. Often we hear that secularism is a result, either direct or indirectly, from the Reformation. He'll respond to that argument in the last few minutes of Issues Etc. Feel free to join us with questions or comments or call in number one eight seven seven six two three six nine four three. Send us an email, talkback at issuesetc.org, a tweet at issuesetc. And the Issues Etc. comment line for our beloved on-demand listeners, whenever, wherever you listen, 618-223-8382. Joining us for part five of our series on raising Christian children in an age of progressivism, today, moving the boundaries as our children get older. Pastor Jonathan Fisk, host of a radio show called Sharper Iron, and author of the book, Broken, Seven Christian Rules That Every Christian Ought to Break as Often as Possible. Jonathan, welcome back. Yeah, it's good to be here. Since we're going to be talking about moving these boundaries, and in some cases, maybe even taking the boundaries uh, away, 
as the kids get older. First, review for us what we had to say last time about set, setting them and keeping them in place. Right. You said it earlier, and I forget the word, but it started with a C. It was really, really good. The The idea that there needs to be some form of structure or constriction in the life of everybody, that there is law, there is rule, and this is for our good. It's often to protect us, it's to help us. It creates a feeling of security, particularly in, in young children. It's what James says in chapter 5, verse 12, where he says, you know, let your yes be yes and your no be no. The challenge as a parent is actually doing that and not changing the boundary just because you find it to be uncomfortable when the child doesn't like the boundary, when you're trying to protect the child. And one example would be when you're attempting to teach the child how to sleep through the night and how the child's not going to like this if you've basically attended to them every single time that they've cried out loud up to this point, the first time that you leave them to, well, work through it a little bit on their own and establish some some strength on their own, really, they're going to want you to break that boundary and come pick them up, care for them, cuddle them, all of, all of which are good things in and of themselves, but which will not help the child learn to sleep through the night, basically. So the temptation is to always move the boundary in reaction to the discomfort or, or the, the suffering that we face. And this happens to any rule and structure. What do we see in America right now about a bunch of attempts to move boundaries, moving a, a marker which our fathers have set up with whether it's regard to the definition of marriage or, or the powers of the state or what have you. So it's not as if boundaries are always these universal things. A lot of times they're simply a matter of an agreement between two human beings as to how that relationship's going to work. One of the chief duties of the parent is to set those boundaries for the child, especially as when the child is born and through much of the early years, that child is just incapable of setting the boundaries for themselves. And if not given boundaries, can really do great harm to themselves. So when do the boundaries start moving? And give us an example of how to ever so gently begin to move them. Well, this is part of why I want to have this conversation is because it's just it's just not that easy, right? It's not like at age two, you're like, okay, time to change the boundaries for you. Say, Son, you've done this so far. Time to now to be you're free to do this. Because a lot of times it has to do with what the child is capable of. And this is not something that is always a black and white reality. And it's not always the same for every child. So learning when the child no longer needs, say, the front bar on the high chair to be there, but can be safely allowed to get up and get out of the chair by him or herself, well, this is going to depend on the child and on the child's capability. And you can actually be wrong wrong about your decision on it too and have to go back and reestablish the boundary, right? Now, I'm using that example because it's, it's really tame. It's really, really plain. But when we're talking about, say, as the child moves out of childhood and into puberty, now you're running into some real significant realities, especially as they're trying to express the freedom of their intellect, have their own ideas, ask the question why, and in this challenge ideas that you, they used to just let you say the sky is blue and it was blue and because I said so kind of worked as an answer. They're, they're wanting to challenge that a little bit and have more reason and, and maybe find out where you're wrong and where and how you handle that as a parent is anything but a clear-cut path. It's not something that you can just go to the Bible and find an answer for. It's something that the wisdom of daily living and the the pattern of trial and error, or if I could say failure and forgiveness, 
it becomes imperative to that walk that parent and child have together. But, but I guess I would also say that at the very root of this is an awareness that those boundaries have to change. I, I think I said last time that one of the, and I didn't, I didn't make this up. I'm borrowing this from a, a father who's wiser than I am. One of the really weird things about American culture is that we don't want to set boundaries for the five year old, but then we want to set boundaries for the 17 year old. And we can't figure out why the 17-year-old is completely unprepared for us to suddenly come in and set boundaries when we've spent the last 17 years training them to think that we have no say in their life and we're just friends and we'll give them whatever they ask for if they cry about it. And so at the beginning, to see the role of parent as the protector who establishes structure and walls around the child for the sake of the child's own health, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, all that stuff, but then who is also tasked with helping the child climb over those walls at a certain point, that these walls are not to be static throughout their whole life, with the exception of being certain elements of spirituality, which by all means, we agree, need to be remain the same as, as Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But, but the remainder of these things, they have to be able to, to crawl over these walls. A great example, right? When, when is the child free to crawl over the crib? Well, is it, is it, is it as soon as they can actually get out of the crib by themselves? Do they need a bed? Or is it before that? Or are they able to, to do it sooner? And every single decision you're making as a parent it interacts with these boundaries. And, and I would establish then, or I would, I would claim today that one of the best things you can try to do as a parent, if you want your child to trust you, is to try to um, see this coming and beat them to it. See the development of the child before it's fully there so that rather than them crashing into your boundary and saying, mom, I need this freedom now, like crawling out of the crib, right? To, to see that the capability is there and lay the groundwork so that you're walking their hand out of that crib, right? So that you're removing that bar- that barrier, that bar, and saying, this is something I want for you, which is to be free from my authority and, and really reach that point where we are peers in many ways and that this happens step by step by step by step and, and gearing the relationship to see it in, in that form rather than Again, oddly, it seems that much of parenting in America today, while rejecting the idea of boundaries in parenting to begin with, doesn't ever want to let go of being the parent and tries to hold on at the last minute, right when there is no, no possibility and even in natural law and natural order to hold on, trying to, to maintain some authority over the child, even as they hit their 30s and 40s, precisely when you should be enjoying the fact that there's this adult that God gave to you who now is no longer really under your authority, but is set free to be a gift to the world around. And it's also, by the way, at that time, at least so far as in my life so far, I'm not talking about my kids with me, I'm talking about me with my father. It's at that time that I have finally <laughs> come to respect my father and, and, and submit to him, not out of a boundary, but just out of a recognition that the man is, the man is worth following, right? The man is worth listening to. And, and so I will, I will honor him in the best sense of the term. Uh, now that was, that's a big mouthful there in a lot of directions. I, I think I answered the question though. Well, what you said there near the end is, is intriguing because what you're saying is that the boundaries that we set throughout a child's life. And then as we've said here, need adjustment throughout their life as well is really preparing them in order to kind of have that relationship with their parents as adults. 
where now they're setting boundaries for their own kids. Mom and dad aren't setting boundaries for them anymore. You're not going to be setting boundaries for your kids when you're a grandfather. They move on. They have their own lives and their own children and things like that. But the boundaries you set when they were young created a relationship that comes to fruition then. Is that what you're yeah. talking about? Yeah, that is what I'm talking about. I think you said it very well, and I don't know that I could add a ton to it, but I do want to add this. And this is partially, I believe, a part of the fall, but it's a reality that we have to deal with. It actually flips itself on the head. There comes a time, and it's a hard time for most people, for, for good or bad, no matter how prepared you are, it's going to be a hard time when the child has to begin actually setting boundaries on on the parent. And this is as the, as the parent ages in sense of physical capability to take care of self or to take care of finances or to be able to drive a car safely or things like that. We're just as incompetent in our current situation, our current culture, just as unprepared for that reality as we are for the other. And it, it actually is one of my goals. I, God help me, you know, we'll see how, how good I do. It was one of my goals to see that coming too and to be, be fully prepared to recognize my limitations in in age whenever that might be and to god willing <laughs> trust in my my children and the decisions that they have to make to to care for me and whether this is because my body is gone or my mind is gone parenting is very much a part of preparing that reality as well it's, it's so contrary to the i don't see a reason to have kids i'm fine as i am this very nearsighted way of looking at the world uh, children in, in many ways are retirement insurance now, now you, you don't want to be a burden on them if you can help it but but they are uh, the ones who are given to you to be your boundary setters in your old age and, and i think this is part of the part of the question or the equation as well Pastor Jonathan Fisk is our guest. It's part five of our series on raising Christian children in an age of progressivism today, moving the boundaries as our children get older. We'll go to a piece of scripture. I think he wants to look at Proverbs when we come back from this break. After our conversation with Pastor Fisk wraps up, we'll be beginning a weekly series with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller on the Lord's Prayer. Children are entitled to a relationship with both of their parents, and they're entitled to know who they are. Dr. Jennifer Roback-Morse of the Ruth Institute talking about her presentation at the 2017 Fall Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. And if you take that entitlement as basic and reason backwards from that, what you'll end up with is the whole traditional Christian sexual morality. Get married, stay married, and only have sex with the person you're married to. You can meet and hear Dr. Jennifer Roback-Morse making the case against the sexual revolution at the Fall Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference Friday, November 10th and Saturday, November 11th in Houston, Texas. Registration is $120 and includes three meals. Child care is free. For more information, look for the Making the Case logo at issuesetc.org or call 618-223-8385. The Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, November 10th and 11th in Houston. Essential exercise for the Christian mind. You're listening to Issues Etc. A year ago, my wife and I returned to America from five years of ministry in Karachi, Pakistan. 
I cannot adequately express how wonderful it was listening to Lutheran Public Radio's music broadcast each Sunday morning before church service. We still listen. You can listen to Lutheran Public Radio, sacred music for the world, anytime, day or night, at lutheranpublicradio.org, Amazon Echo, Google Home, and on the LPR mobile app. The Law Assumed Sermon, the Gospel Afterthought Sermon, the God Loves You Anyway Sermon. I've written an article in the latest Issues Etc. journal titled An Updated Listener's Guide to the Pulpit. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Matt Richard details his journey from folk Lutheranism to confessional Lutheranism. The free online Issues Etc. journal. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about moving the boundaries as our children get older. Part 5 of our series on raising Christian children in an age of progressivism. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is our guest. Did you know that Concordia University, Wisconsin will waive the application fee for Issues Etc. listeners? Concordia University, Wisconsin offers 50 online educational options for an associate's bachelor's or master's degree, just click the Concordia University Wisconsin logo at issuesetc.org and enter the promo code issues lifelong Lutheran learning Concordia University Wisconsin online. You wanted to look at a couple places in Proverbs and a place in the Psalms for a little guidance here. Yeah, I do. And, and I want to say something about even going to look there in the first place. We are in the realm of, of the law. And oftentimes Lutherans are uncomfortable talking about this, which is weird, I, I think. We're afraid that the law in its condemnation of us will somehow override or, or destroy the gospel, rather than believing firmly that the law in its condemnation of us will open us all the more to see the value of the gospel, of who Jesus is, what he's done, justification as a free gift and all that. And at the same time, Therefore, we kind of lose this idea that while the law is condemning us, it is also curbing us, it's blocking us in, insofar as we believe it, or it won't allow us to go further, so that we never quite go all the way to the failure that we could go without it. And in this, too, we also see a beauty in it, that we hunger for it. Even as I fail to keep it, I desire to keep it. And that desire itself it helps press toward the good of my neighbor, the betterment of my neighbor, which the law teaches. And so it is something that we definitely would need to love, as the as the psalm says as well, while also recognizing its limited place in the Christian life. And by place, I mean it is not the predominant thing that makes us Christians. But it is the predominant thing that makes us parents. <laughs> and so parenthood is this this bridge place where you do have to look to the law and see what it says. And, and one of the places to find law that's a little more uh, worldly, practical, taking what the Ten Commandments say and, and putting it into your hands right now, maybe more so than St. Leviticus manages to do, is the book of Proverbs. It is a treasure trove of one of the ways that the Bible talks about law as wisdom, as understanding, as discernment, as the ability to know the difference between good and evil, between right and wrong. And, and of course, wisdom also does deal with the gospel, so I, I don't want to deny that. But I, I think it's important for Christians who are living in our age to rediscover this book, which is 
hidden, I guess I would say. It, it just doesn't seem to show up a lot, certainly not in our lectionaries or anything like that. It's a treasure trove for you in all manner of things. There is an oft-quoted verse by at least evangelicals, the evangelical world, Proverbs 22, 6, which I think actually gets abused, even though it, it, it is here for our, for our benefit, and I, I want to see the good in it today. But it says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. The way this verse gets abused is it gets turned from a proverb, a statement of general reality about the law, the, the way that the world normally works. It gets interchanged from that into a promise of sorts. And so it's quoted not so much as a, you ought to do this sort of thing, but a, if you do this, then this will happen sort of thing, like, like some sort of guarantee. So that if you make an effort to train your child in the way he should go, then he'll be fine when he's older. And this is often, I think, applied to the faith of the child. So it's sort of given to parents as comfort for their worries about the faith of the child when they come of age, or particularly when they're rebelling, when they're off wandering around. It kind of quoted, my son is off doing wicked things now, and someone would say, well, did you, you train him up in the way he should go, he'll come back, he, he will not depart for it, he'll, he'll return again. Well, that's not quite what the proverb is saying, and it's kind of a cold hope, because it's, again, putting the hope in the law. It's teaching me to rely on myself, that my only hope for my children's faith is that I have to train them? Dear heavens, what a load. It makes me want to run away. I won't even try, because it's too much to bear. Whereas if we let the law just stay in its proper place, we don't try to make it into the gospel, it is rather a recognition that the path you set for a human being in any in any situation tends to form a habit, which is a good thing for them in the long run. And so if you want your children to go in a certain direction, the best thing you can do is show them where the curbs are, right? Show them where the foundation is. Show them how to manage it. Show them how to read the map, right? So you train up the child in the way he should go, and there's a good chance that that child will, in fact, pursue it later. Now, the, the reason I'm so cautious about this is because what I don't want someone to do is have this be a false hope. It is possible. It is possible that you do a fine job of parenting, and a child still falls away. Ultimately, their salvation is in, I guess, in a sense, two hands. Election-wise, they're in God's hands. God's going to save them, period. And that's the promise you want to trust. You want to trust something about your child and their faith. Trust their baptism into Christ. God has promised them they are his. Point them back to that. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, their damnation's in their own hands. This is single election. We won't go down that rabbit trail. But it is up to them. If they fall away, that is their own decision, their own choice. Even so, what Proverbs 22.6 has to give us that I think is just tremendously valuable is this exhortation, that it is in fact our duty to train up a child in the way he should go. And notice how this connects to what we were saying earlier about moving the boundaries. You're not training the child in the way they should be. You're training them forward. You're training them up. You're, you're moving with them as they grow toward a longer term reality or goal. You're not static either yourself. You're, you're I mean, this is kind of what the next Proverbs is going to look at. Ideally, the parent doesn't know everything when they start, but they're learning both from the child and from other wiser parents that, that go before them from resources and whatnot, from day-to-day -day life, from engagement with each other. They're learning the path that they're on as well. So that rather than seeing really parenthood as sort of have them, enjoy them, kick them out the door, which is, is an approach that at least one generation ago or so was very taken, it, it really is we are walking on a road together and right now I'm holding your hand because you can't walk. Someday you're going to pick me up when I stumble and fall as well. The only way this happens 
as if we're walking toward the same goal, if we have the same horizon in our sights, and that parenting ultimately is about that, both in terms of teaching the child law and gospel. Now, I mentioned that's Proverbs 22.6. Proverbs 9.9 also then becomes, at least for me, one of the, the eminent exhortations of the Old Testament as to how to live a life, how to live a Christian life. It says, give instruction to a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. One of the reasons that our culture is so offended by everything is because we want to believe that there is no instruction. <laughs> we want to believe that we are born knowing everything we need to know. This is where all the follow your dreams and let your conscience and heart be your guide and all this kind of Disney stuff. It really comes from, it's not just Disney, they just might have been the first to make it really, really popular in cartoons. But it's contrary to the reality that we, that we face, first off, that we're born, st- <laughs> we're born stupid, right? And I, I say this with all love for babies everywhere, but babies are dumb. They're really, really dumb. They can't even talk yet. Yeah, they, they can't even, they can't do anything. They need to be instructed. They need to learn. And they don't just come of age, learn to talk and understand things. They don't just hit 16 and suddenly they've got a full understanding of the world and you don't hit 45 and fully know what's going on either. The wisest man, is the one who is constantly aware of his need for further instruction so that he's always willing to listen to it. So that rather than be offended by a different idea, he has the capacity to to catch that idea, to assess that idea, both in terms of its reasonableness, its lawfulness, and in terms of its connection to the Word of God, right? That the the worldview that he has, which is the Scripture, is something in which ideas live. It's not just a, a, a set of rigid rules, but it's a structure for thinking with and for assessing things. And so, if you teach such a man, a righteous man, he just continues to learn. The way this is said in, in secular terms today is to be a lifelong learner. And this is key to being a parent in the first place, that you walk into this saying, you know what, I don't know everything, and that's okay. I'm going to make mistakes, and that's okay. I'm going to set boundaries that are going to be the wrong boundaries. I will repent of that, and that's okay. I'll I'll try to set better boundaries. I'm going to learn from this process. My child's going to teach me as much as I teach them, although there'll be different things, right? They're not going to come out talking German and and expound on philosophy. That's what you got to give them. At the same time, then, knowing that you don't know everything, imparting to your child that idea, which doesn't happen by yelling at them, you don't know everything, right? It happens by encouraging curiosity, encouraging limitations, encouraging them to see that there are places to go further, that you can you can actually grow. And this means setting goalposts and mile markers and giving them something to aim for. Uh, one of the ideas, I think I mentioned this before as well, but you know, I set a goal for one of my children. Look, if you if you can earn enough money for this thing that no one else has, and you're and you know this is not the firstborn. Firstborn doesn't have this. Well, if you can if you can save up your money, it's fine. You go ahead and get it, right? And so setting that goal to help them learn how to budget, right? Learn how to save money. Learn how to have a goal. All those kinds of things. And so for me, Proverbs nine nine becomes the piece that goes with Proverbs twenty two six. That training up a child in the way he should go is training the child to want to go a direction that is wise, uh, to want to learn from what they do. And in this then, Psalm 111 verse 10 also undergirds kind of everything I've been saying, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. The chief amongst this learning is learning to acknowledge your sin, 
to acknowledge the truth of the law in all of its stern fullness and its marvelous goodness, to acknowledge our failure in the face of it, and, and then to acknowledge that resurrected man's authority over us anyway, right? that he has died and risen again, that we n- might not be condemned by the law, but instead would turn, face it, even strong and uh, condemning as it is, face it and love it for the way that we should go. And God willing, when they are older, your children, they, they will want to go that way, both law and gospel together. Finally, with about a minute here, how old is your oldest child? My oldest right now is is twelve. She'll be thirteen in a, just a couple of months. So and, you, uh, thirteen going on thirty. So you, yeah, yeah. You are entering the. Uh, I always say to people with little kids, like my grandkids, this is the tiring time. This is the physically exhausting time. Then comes the hard part. Right. When they get a little bit older. Give us one real quick example of a boundary that was set, and now, as your daughter heads toward the bigger challenge of life, you have moved a little. Well, I mean, it's tough. Clothing. There was a time when we dressed our our oldest daughter entirely. There was a time where we gave her some options. You can wear this or this. Uh, There was a time where it was put some clothes on and everything in her closet was effectively given to her and so that we, we had full control and we're entering a time now where there's quite a bit more freedom for her where she is allowed to to fully discern and, and dress herself and she's been again long before 12 been been dressing herself but i think about sunday morning and getting ready for church and deciding what's appropriate attire to wear to church and now 12 my 10 year old probably is is in this realm too where we have fully handed that over to them Generally speaking, that get ready for church, they are free to make a decision on that, and we trust them to make a good decision, but we also haven't so removed the boundary that there aren't moments where they come out and we say, mm, yeah, try again. And if I, if I could just take 10 seconds to, to, to say, uh, recently I did do this with my 12-year-old, and it wasn't because it was inappropriate, it was just... It was it was a style issue. She she tried to be beautiful, and she really had achieved it. But she'd done so much that it was almost over the top. It, well, not gaudy is the wrong word, but she had just overfluffed herself. And I said, "Look, look, child. If you just take one of these two things you're wearing, it's going to do all that you want it to do. Otherwise, it looks like you're you're doing too much." And she kind of looked at me and she thought about it, and then she went ahead and did it. Now, whether that sticks or not, I don't know. But it was again the boundary and the way the boundary is set. Is totally different than you know, uh, son, go put on your shoes. No, not those shoes, right? <laughs> right, which is sort of the the way you handle it with the younger kids. Pastor Jonathan Fiske is host of a radio show called Sharper Iron. He's author of the book Broken: Seven Christian Rules That Every Christian Ought to Break as Often as Possible. There's a link to that book right there at our website, issueztc.org. Click Listen on Demand. You can also call Concordia Publishing House and order Broken. 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040. Jonathan, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always a joy. On the other side of the break, Pastor Brian Wolfmiller joins us. We're going to begin a weekly series with him on the Lord's Prayer. Then, in Hour 2 of Issues, etc., Dr. Jan Lohmeyer continues a series we've been doing on teenagers' questions about Christianity. And Dr. Corey Moss joins us to talk about the Reformation and secularism.
¿Por qué hay cuatro evangelios? ¿Qué pasa con los bebés que mueren antes de nacer? ¿Qué significa temer a Dios? Respuestas bíblicas a preguntas difíciles se encuentran en la edición de agosto de The Lutheran Witness, una revista de la Iglesia Luterana, Sinodo de Missouri. Visite a cph.org slash trilutheranwitness para una oferta especial, seis ediciones para seis dólares y noventa y nueve centavos. The Lutheran Witness, interpretando un mundo contemporáneo desde una perspectiva cristiana. There are nearly 20 million college students in the United States. 40% will stop going to church during college. 50% will never return. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod is seeking to meet this challenge through LCMSU. Why? Because 100% of college students matter to God and to His church. College is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. LCMSU. Check us out at lcms.org lcmsu. Emily finally had to face the truth. Her church choir was a mess. Katie Schuerman from her new audiobook, House of Living Stones. Sure, they'd managed to turn out a few decent choral offerings for Sunday worship every now and then, but their confidence and morale were presently hanging lower than pants on a wrapper. You can purchase and download an audio version of the novel House of Living Stones at Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. House of Living Stones by Katie Schuerman. Are you a homeschool parent looking for help teaching certain subjects? Or do you want your student to study the history, languages, and literature of Western civilization? Memoria Press Online Academy has live online classes with master teachers to help you. Their teachers have years of experience teaching, delighting, and moving students literally from all around the world. Your homeschool year doesn't have to be difficult. Visit memoriapressacademy.com or call 877-745-8866. Contending for truth in an age of anti-truth. You're listening to Issues Etc. At Hope Lutheran Church in Sunbury, Ohio, you will find rest for your soul, strength for the day, forgiveness of sins, and hope for the future through Jesus Christ. Because at Hope, you'll hear the Word of God faithfully taught and receive the sacraments faithfully delivered. This is Pastor Ben Meyer inviting you to join us at Hope for Bible class and Sunday school at 9 a.m. and the Divine Service at 10.30 a.m. Find us on the web at hopelutheransunbury.org. Are you tired of working out at big box gyms? You'll find quality personal training and qualified instruction at Performance Fitness in Edwardsville. You can even work out for a full 30 days before making a commitment to join. Find out more at performancefitness618.com or call 618-692-5063. Performance Fitness is the facility in the St. Louis Metro East where the focus is on member results, not membership numbers. Performance Fitness 618com 